0: Proverbs chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep rivers. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a tellbearer are like tasty trifles and they go down into the inmost body. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty and before honor is humility. Let's pray together. Father, we just recognize our need for you that we need you in every way. We're a needy people. You know that. And you're a faithful father, Lord, as we think of Father's Day. You're the ultimate father, the father of our spirits. And none of us as fathers or any father in this world can compare with you, with being a father, Lord. You are the ultimate example of a faithful father. So we ask, Lord, now as we study your word, that your father's heart would come through so clearly to our hearts. As we look at these verses, Lord, that we would see them as a result or an overflow of your instruction towards us as a loving Father, that you want what's good for us because you love us. So help us to learn all these things, Lord. Help us to put them into practice, being doers of the word. Our hearts are open before you, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us and make us more like Jesus as a result of them. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're just making our way through Proverbs and, um, man, it's just been increasingly convicting for me. I don't know if it's been that way for you, but for me, Proverbs has been very convicting. It's also been harder to teach than I thought it would be. It's very difficult to teach the book of Proverbs. You may have noticed that, (laughs) Uh, but it's difficult, Uh, but it's so needed. Every jot and tittle, every part of every... section of God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so it's, it's important. And Jesus knows that for our lives. And he wants us to be able to use his wisdom. He's the personification of wisdom in everything that we do and how we live our lives. He doesn't want any unnecessary lessons we don't have to learn by by making our own mistakes we can learn by other people's mistakes or we can learn of course even more importantly than that of course is learning directly from him and taking that wisdom and heeding that wisdom that he has for us so he starts here in verse 1 he says a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire he rages against all wise judgment there's 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 different reasons why we find ourselves in isolation. Sometimes it could be because we're shy, and sometimes it could be become because maybe we are afraid. sometimes it's because we've been hurt um, and legitimately you know we we need some time to recover and all those things. but there's also those that isolate because it's clear that they believe that the more exposed they are to others, it will impede their ability to, to have their selfish desires met. So not everybody is in that camp that finds themselves in isolation, of course. But there are people that do that. They are by themselves on purpose because in their estimation, in their belief, if they're around people, it's going to get in the way of them meeting whatever needs that they feel like have to be met apart from being around others. And so he speaks to that. He says, a man who isolates himself, it's him. Notice the word himself. He's doing it, seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. It is true, though, just coming away from or kind of taking another perspective or another way that God wants to understand isolation in general is that we need to understand that the enemy does want us isolated. That's one of his prime ways that he gets us away from people and away from the help that he wants to give us. And he tries so hard to get us alone and away from his people as believers. It's easy to divide it's it takes. I you mean, know, the flesh and the enemy are working together sometimes with that, and and God doesn't. He knows the damage that that can cause us, and so He set it up to where as Christians we're going to be in a safer place and in a place that helps related to growth and all that, and also that where we can be a blessing to others if we're engaged with the rest of the body of Christ so he's set it up for us for that and we and and it is there is wise judgment that comes by being among God's people there is safety there is strength there is grace there is other people's spiritual gifts being used in our lives there is us using our spiritual gifts there's many reasons for it and that's why leaders talk about it a lot because they know that it's good for all of us it's, it's healthy for us. And the enemy wants, and I see it. And I see it in my own life. I mean, not that I can be away from church uh, very long. Um, you know, I can't do that. Not, nor, not that I'd want to. But, I mean, I've seen it in my own life in the past, before I was a pastor, where there was incredible pressure to be on my own. And I'm a little bit introverted as it is. Um, and I recharge by being alone. And some of you can relate to that my wife's the opposite. She recharges by being around people. Uh, if you know her, you know that's true. She loves it. So the, it's easy for us to, 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 to do that, and we have to recognize that um, we have to compensate for our natural proclivity or leaning to, to, to be by ourselves. In a, in, a, in a healthy, and I'm talking about in an unhealthy way. There's times that we're supposed to be by ourselves. There's you know, definitely privacy and things that we need to do by ourselves. But in terms of just how God's made us, when he talks about us bearing the fruit of the Spirit, as I've said many times, it's for other people's benefit, not our, supremely our own benefit. And so he wants to bear that fruit so other people can enjoy that. And he wants us to build up the body, but we can't do that if we're not around the body and so forth. So he's always encouraging us Um, to to be consistent with that. Not perfect, but consistent. One of the things we have to recognize is that God has given us all the resources we need to be loving and gracious, forgiving others. And, you know, especially, we're a family here. So there's, we want to be a functional family, not a dysfunctional family. Uh, And the healthier we are, the more functional we'll be. And sometimes we get we have to call upon his strength and his grace, but he has all the resources for us to be loving and gracious and forgiving to others and so forth. And obviously he's telling us to be gracious and loving and to forgive one another. He tells us that over and over again because we normally wouldn't do it unless he told tells us over and over again. And also if we didn't have the occasion and need to forgive and need to be loving and need to be gracious. So sometimes We have to recognize that God has all the resources, but also sometimes he allows things to be in our midst and to be around people where we have to extend grace and all of that because he wants to expose something in our own lives. I know he's done that many times in my life. He'll put us around people that we normally wouldn't be around or that kind of rub us the wrong way or or, or we have to be gracious with, but we have to recognize they're being that way with us. But it oftentimes it exposes our need to be patient, our need to be gracious, our need to be you know, forgiving and all of that and, and, and to work on our character and all of that. So we have to recognize that he has all the resources and he wants us to be in unity, he wants us to be gracious. That's how in part he, he molds our character and he makes us more godly. He's put a lot of people around me in the past where... He showed me a lot of things about myself that needed to change. And it's very convicting. It really is. But it, it's, he's faithful to do it. And, and, and remember, we're going to be around each other for all eternity. <laughs> you know, we have to recognize that. Now, we won't have a sinful nature, which will, and we'll have new bodies, which will be a blessing. So um, that'll be a compensating factor. But still, we're going to be around each other for all eternity. Look at verse 2 now. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Understanding comes in part by listening and yielding to wise people. Not wise guys. That's that's me sometimes, wise guy. But wise people, truly wise people. And we have and yesterday I was at the we were up in Sonora at the tent days with Timothy and it seemed like that was a theme in the book of Second Timothy. As we went through the whole book verse by verse, it seemed to be a theme of recognizing the people that God's placed in our lives for us to grow and for us to see as a mentor or for us to see the importance of mentoring somebody else. You know, one of the things that, in fact, my passage that I was assigned to to teach was talking to Paul talking to Timothy, saying, you've carefully followed my example and all these things that, that Paul experienced, and, he, and I, I noted that he said carefully, carefully follow. And, and it's incumbent upon us to recognize that God's placed certain people in our lives to help grow, to help us grow, and for us to help other people grow. And so this whole verse, a fool has no delight in understanding, but is in expressing but in expressing his own heart, all a fool wants to do. He doesn't want to listen and receive wisdom from others that are more wise than them or have wisdom than they, that they need for the moment. But they want to just express what they believe all the time. I used to be, and I'm still growing, so you recognize you know, God's grace in my life. But I used to have to always share my opinion about every tiny little thing. And I used to have a friend that did the same thing, and it was very hard for us to be in the same room together because all we wanted to do is just, uh, you know, and always, no. But I think this. But I think this. No. But I think this. And and, and it's like this contest, and it, it really was not healthy what whatsoever. And I was being very foolish because all I wanted to do was express my own heart, you know, my and my own wisdom, and. We're told in Proverbs chapter 3, we saw this back in chapter 3, verse 7, that we're, not, we're to be not wise in our own eyes. And listen to this verse from Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not let your mind, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. See, what I was is wise in my own opinion. And we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful about our confidence and our own views, our own opinion. We have to question ourselves. Do you doubt yourself related to your own wisdom? It's a healthy thing to ask people the question, you know, do, am I seeing this clearly? Bounce things off people. This appears to be the situation, and I think that this is the, the what's going on, but... I may have an incomplete picture, so am I seeing this correctly am i do i have is this is this assessment that I have? Is it correct? You know what that requires to do that? It requires humility. Prideful people never do that. Prideful people know that they are right in every situation and they are they're interested in making disseminating exactly what they believe at all times because they are doing everyone a favor by opening their mouth and saying what they believe because of course it's the right it's always right and no one could ever be wrong that's that's not what God's aiming at so we have to be open and humble and and we have to recognize that we don't always have the right answer we don't always have the right thing and the more we question our own opinion and test it by scripture and bouncing it off others and seeking wise counsel and all those things especially in a given situation we we may not have all the facts. I've been in many situations in the past where I've thought I had all the facts and I'm making a complete judgment on a situation when I don't have all the facts and I haven't talked to the people or, or investigated the situation or whatever. And and so it, it, we have to be very careful. Don't come to quick conclusions about things, but wait and see and and, and, and question our own how we see things and bounce. I bounce things off the leaders all the time and other people, some of you, not in leadership. Obviously, I can learn from everybody and I need to learn from everybody. It's true for all of us. But I bounce things off people. I don't always do it and I don't always do it well. So I need to grow in that as well. But the the issue is we have to seek wise counsel and, and be humble and not just continuously expressing what's on our own heart and assume that it's correct. Verse 3, when the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. So the wicked, with the wicked, they bring contempt, they bring dishonor and reproach. God acknowledges that. And so we have to reckon. don't be surprised, don't be stumbled by the fact when the wicked do things that there's reproach that comes. I mean, that's normal. It's typical for reproach and dishonor to, to come as a result of wicked people. And you know it's it's God's okay with calling people wicked. Did you notice that? <laughs> He's fine with that. Doesn't hurt his feelings at all. He's not worried about being politically correct. He just says it how it is. I love that about him. Except when he says it about me, it's something that hurts and I'm like, Eee, oh, ease up a little bit. Not really. But he he, he really is honest. And he says the truth, and the wicked are the wicked. And we've seen it all through Proverbs, him define the wicked, describe what they're like, what the result of their life's going to be, and and what their end is, because we can think that, man, they're just doing great. The mirage is they're just, they have no problems, and, you know, that stumbled even David, he said. The prosperity of the wicked stumbled me until I went into the house of the Lord. Then he got an eternal perspective, and then he saw what they really had. Then he saw what their life was really about, what was really coming their way, and it changed everything. Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. So we've been talking about wisdom, not just this morning, but all through as we studied the book of Proverbs, and often wisdom you know, God places, like I said, people in our lives, strategic people. We have to recognize who they are, take advantage of them in the sense of heeding them and, and, and receiving what they have to say. And often when wisdom comes, we recognize that it's a blessing because we need that wisdom. You know, deep waters and flowing brooks were very valuable in that day. You know, we think brooks is like, oh, that's nice. That nice scenery, that little brook that's going, and it's a blessing, but this is their lives. This is running water. This is a way for them to to exist. And and so he's saying that's what the words of a man, it could be a woman too, it could be any person, the words of a person's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. There's a lot of things that wise people say that we need to heed and recognize and respect. And the great thing about wise people is that they don't have to say a lot of words to say something pretty profound. I I remember hearing a pastor talking about another senior pastor that went in to talk to Pastor Chuck back in the day, probably, I don't know when it was, probably the late 80s, early 90s. And that's when the prosperity gospel false teaching was very popular and He went into Pastor Chuck's office to get his take on it, to understand, you know, what, where where are you at with all this? What's wrong? What's the biggest things that's wrong with this whole thing, this whole teaching? And and he's sitting in the chair and Pastor Chuck's eating some figs. (laughs) He's just sitting there eating figs. He's not even looking up and eating these, I mean, fig Newtons, I'd get my attention, okay? I mean, that's just me, but... You know, I can eat figs too, but and, and and so he's eating figs. He's looking down, and all Chuck says is, when he asks him about the prosperity movement and you know what's wrong with it, all all he says is, without even looking up, he's eating his figs, and he just says, "Bad fruit." That's it. Nothing else you want to add, Pastor Chuck? Bad fruit. Okay. Next subject. You know, let's move on. But I mean, it's 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 funny because. We don't have to have a lot of verbiage to get such great wisdom from people. Sometimes the wisest people say the least things. They're not always talking, you know, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. And they just choose their words carefully. That's one of the reasons why they're wise. And they just come up with some little one-sentence thing that just comes, it's just like a boom, just hits. And you're like, you're just... Blown away by the wisdom, and you have nothing to really say beyond that. Just wow, that was incredible. You know, it, it's 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 beautiful. But it is the, this what he's describing in verse four. It's a wellspring, and it's flow. It's a flowing brook. It's blessing to hear that wisdom, and that's what he wants for us. He wants us to dispense that type of wisdom and to share those things and be judicious with what we say when we say it, and make sure it's something that is going to. Be a blessing and give someone wisdom and help them on how to live life in a in a way that pleases the Lord. Now let's look at verse five. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked, or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. We have seen so many references up to this point in in Proverbs. Of unrighteous judgment, of, you know, how he hates it when people are exonerated, when they're wicked, and the righteous are convicted. So the people that are doing the wrong things, and I talked about government and how a lot of times government officials, certain government officials, get let off. They don't even get their hands slapped or whatever. They, if we did the same thing, we'd be in jail. They get their hands slapped. And then the ones that are truly guilty, I mean, the ones that are truly innocent, they get, they get punished. And there's laws passed against them. And, and, and God sees every single bit of that. And it grieves his heart when he sees injustice. Just because we see injustice go on doesn't mean, and we can start to think that God doesn't really care or he's indifferent or he, just, you know, he cares about all of it. And he's, That's the thing. We see a very small sliver of the injustice that's done in this world, but he sees all of it. Just think what that does to his heart. He hates it. He absolutely despises it. And his heart doesn't get desensitized. Ours can get desensitized. His heart can't get desensitized. He sees every bit of it. It happens all day, every day. We need to stand up for those that are being mistreated. We need to stand up for those that are innocent, that are that are you know convicted as guilty and we need to stand up for when people are let off the hook and stand up for what's right that's part of being salt and light to let people know that's not right to speak up and of course we have to make sure that we're not engaged in that that we're not judging someone as guilty who's innocent or the opposite we have to mete out justice God's very much a just God he's gracious he's loving he's patient But he's still just. He's just as much just as he is loving. That's one of the things that the world does not want to hear. God is love. You Christians say that God is love. So how can you say that these things are wrong? If you are truly loving, you accept everyone's, you know, behavior. No, there's also justice. There's also these things cause harm in people's lives. And God doesn't want that. And and so we have to recognize he is a righteous, just God, and he hates seeing all those things that he sees every day that's horrific in this world. Now, verses 6 through 8, it's going to deal with the tongue once again. And I told you that, you know, that doesn't apply to to us. You know, that's other churches out there, right? You know, but we've, just kidding. But we, you know, we've seen this theme over and over again of the tongue, the tongue, the tongue, the tongue, the tongue. And he's going to deal with it. Verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. Fools love to enter into contentions. I remember just loving to get in debates, like I was Mr. Debater. Just give me a subject, and I'm going to show you how you're wrong. And even people that I agreed with, I would debate them. How do you do that? How do you debate someone that you agree with? I would find a way. I definitely would would find a way to do it. But, you know, that's what fools do. They love to enter into contentions, and they provoke people to anger. That's what verse 6 is talking about. His mouth calls for blows. Like, what the things that this fool is saying is asking for. You ever seen anyone say things? And I mean, I remember as a kid, the things I would say to adults, I can't believe I got away with. I mean, I should have been... (laughs) There's a lot of things that should have happened to me as a child that didn't, unfortunately. But the, how I would be disrespectful to adults and what I would say is shameful. Glad God forgave me of all of that for sure. But you're, you've seen somebody that just is asking for it. They're just you just see them and you just go, oh, they're just begging for it. They're gonna they're gonna get it if they keep going and all of that. That's what a fool does. Our lives should avoid causing contentions, and our mouths should be mouths that promote peace jesus said blessed are the peacemakers we should be always wanting to promote peace instead of saying things that we shouldn't say and getting involved in things that we shouldn't get involved in and we definitely don't want anyone throwing blows or or trying to strike us or any of those things that we can hurt people dearly with what we say he continues in verse seven A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. See what fools believe is that what they say and what comes out of their mouths is actually an asset to them, that what they say actually helps them. But it's actually this this verse tells us the opposite is true. Their mouths are actually catalysts for their destruction, and actually a snare to their souls see on on, they they think that well what I say is going to help me in life they're not even thinking about anything deeper than just the the physical plane usually and they're thinking what they say is going to help them in their circumstances and all of that but it's going deeper the things that they say is actually snaring something deeper in them it's snaring their souls it's affecting the deepest parts of who they are and it's having an effect, and they have no idea that it's, in a sense, cyclical. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But if we say things that are wicked, and we say things that cause destruction, and and say these things that are evil, then actually what we say actually affects our souls as well. So it's like this cycle that hurts us and so forth. We have to be very careful about that. And not be stumbled by what people say and, and understand that there's, there's foolish people and there's wise people. And foolish people are going to say things that hurt themselves. It doesn't mean that we leave them to themselves and not pray for them and not reach out to them. God wants us to do that. He wants us to reach out to people that are foolish. And I'm talking about their lifestyle and, you know, destructive behavior and all those things. We need to not isolate we need to reach out to them and love them and be gracious to them in terms of the gospel and helping them see a way out, but God still calls us to do it. Verse 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. A talebearer means a gossiper or one who shares things that they shouldn't. See, there's a conviction right there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, a talebearer, the gossiper shares things that they shouldn't. And it could be true things, or it could be lies. It could be made-up things. It could seem harmless, or it could be complete slander. And one of the things I love about this verse, as convicting as it is, <laughs> is that God's honest with us related to gossip and all of those things being tasty he says, he says it's tasty. I'm not denying that. It's something that it's, we naturally would enjoy hearing. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do enjoy it many times. We do, hear, we do enjoy hearing those things. Let's just be honest. Be real. And he says they're like tasty trifles. What's a trifle? I think it's like a dessert. Or some translations say tasty morsels. You know, little pieces of fluffy, sugary, creamy goodness you know, that's, it's you know, that we're tempted. I remember in Israel, we went to Israel and just, man, they do dessert well over there. You know, we have these buffets for breakfast and dinner. And we're walking, I don't know how many miles all day long. And I'm still gaining weight, you know, because it's good food. I mean, there's, they serve the fish and all that and everything. All of them's excited about that for like the first day or two. Then they're like, oh, forget about that. Give me the, give me the regular food that I'm used to, whatever. But their desserts are just all these little tiny trifles all these little tasty little morsels and they go down so easily don't they okay i guess i'm the only one come on those things go down easily i can eat i remember eating when i was in high school i think i had 3 boxes of nilla wafers once <laughs> in one sitting now they're small come on now they're small little boxes they're not that big but i mean they just stuff that tastes good it goes down easy. Like, like just as fast as they can go down, they're going down. But notice also he's honest with us that they go down as far as they can. It says they go down into the inmost body. Now these are words people are saying. These are not physical things. So he, they affect us more than we think and not in a good way. They go down and affect us in a harmful way that hurt us. Hurt us spiritually. They hurt us in the deepest parts of who we are. Now, think about, would you ever make a dessert? Do you like to make desserts? I've failed many times. I think I can make pudding. That's about it. But if you like to make desserts, would you ever make a dessert that would hurt someone physically, that kind of has a poisonous effect? You'd never do that. But when we engage in this, that's exactly what we're doing but in a spiritual way. And so we've fed them spiritual, laced with something in a a harmful way that hurts them. And all of us at some level are guilty of this. Let's just be honest here. All of us at some level are guilty of this. But God continues to work in our lives for this to get out of our lives. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt... Word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Basically, if it doesn't build someone up, don't say it. It damages us and them, and that's what he's talking about. It does harm to the other person. So if it doesn't, you know, it, you know, the the, the issue is, it, are they part of the solution? whatever we're talking about. Again, we can be talking with someone about true things. We're talking to one person about somebody else, their true things, and it doesn't build them up whatsoever. And if we're upset about someone, the, what Jesus tells us to do is to go to that person. And sometimes people talk to everybody else except the person that sinned against them. And that's the problems that we, that we see in every church. No, we're not immune to that. It's in other churches. It's all over. It's in our flesh, We'll talk to everybody except the person that sinned against us, and we need to go to that person. Matthew eighteen tells us, and if they don't listen, they've truly sinned against us. There's a whole process of it gets elevated, and it's not up to us to decide if we want to elevate it. It has to. It has to go through that process. So we have to recognize that, and also we have to recognize that if the we what we are what's required of us if we're hearing this, myself included. Trust me, I've been guilty plenty of times of letting that talk go on, and I'm, the tasty morsels are flowing. <laughs> you know? uh, so we, it's our responsibility to stop it, to say, you know, th- where that person's not here. We should you know, wait, you know, talk with them or go to them or whatever. And, and if we do that enough times, then I think that that person won't do that with us anymore. And we don't have to do it in a harsh way, in an unloving way. We can do it in a very loving way. I've had people do that to me in the past. They did it very gently and lovingly, and I appreciated them for that. So we all have to be careful for that. I do want to say something related to an extra layer of protection that God's given uh, elders in the church. We don't have a massive problem with this at all in our church. Thank, thank God. Thank you. I'm thankful to him for this. But there's an extra layer of protection related to uh, accusations against an elder. We're told in 1 Timothy 5.19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And it doesn't say do not believe, it's one step before that. It says do not receive it unless there's two or three witnesses. So there's a protection for, for leaders and all of that. But again, um, obviously if we're communicating, if we're you know sharing with people, if we're do, obeying Matthew 18, all those things, then... Uh, then those things many times take care of themselves. So God wants to help us with that and not do damage and not, you know, want to promote peace. Everything that we say from our mouths should be to build somebody up. I wish I did that as much as I could. And I'm just being honest that I I don't. And I'm growing in that. So we're, we all have room to grow. And so when it says, let no corrupt word, it's it's, it's we have to just do it just what builds people up focus on what builds people up you know Jesus said and it's very convicting Jesus said that we'll be judged by every idle word and we'll have to give an account for every idle word now this has nothing to do with heaven or hell this is standing before Jesus at the bema seat the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to have to give an account for every idol and that word idol means useless or unprofitable word that we say oh man anyone convicted hello I mean man we're all convicted here So it's a good reminder. I love the strength of God's word. He's not doing it to any other reason because he loves us and it's beneficial for us and it's a blessing to him and to others. Very important. Now he gets to work in verse 9. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. So slothfulness or laziness at our work may appear to us as maybe not so much a great deal, big deal or whatever. But he, he says here that if that the closer we do that, or the closer that we're engaged in that type of activity, it's like our, our close brother is someone that destroys people and things and all of that. I mean, it's a harsh thing. It's a, it's a serious thing. That, that Slothful in his work. A good, solid work ethic is very important to God. It's very important. He sees it, and he just, I don't know all the implications of what all that means, having a brother to him who is a great destroyer, but I know it's not good, you know, and I know that the answer is for us to work hard and to bless the Lord with our work and to work as if Jesus is our boss. I remember when I first was told that as a new believer, that Jesus is your boss now at your work, and Christians should be the hardest-working, most just amazing workers that exists, not because someone's watching, not because we want promotion, not because we want man's approval, but because Jesus is watching every part of what we do. And it blesses him. And that will, indirectly, as a result, will open doors for us to share the gospel. And that's what God wants as well. So every Christian should be a model employee by God's grace. Verse 10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it. And are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. I personally believe that verses 10 and 11 are basically two proverbs being contrasted with one another. There's a word I want you to know here and it's, there's, it, it appears in both verses but it's in different words in English. The word is the word safe in verse 10 they run to it and are safe, that word safe there, and then the word high in the next verse, it says, and like a high wall in his own esteem. The word high in that verse and the word safe in verse 10 are the same Hebrew word, and it means inaccessible. So you could read it this way, the righteous run to it and are inaccessible, and the rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a inaccessible wall in his own esteem. And I believe he's making a contrast that the Lord is our as our strong tower and we run to it and we are inaccessible to the attacks of the enemy in, in many ways and, and we're safe in his arms and his protection and his sovereignty and all of that but an ungodly rich man he's not saying that rich people are bad he's saying that a man that is trusting in uncertain riches a man who has the love of money and who's trusting in himself and what he provides and all of that That wealth becomes his. Notice the word his there in verse 11. His strong city. And like a high wall or an inaccessible wall in his own esteem. That's the key to understanding it. I believe the last two words of verse 11. His own esteem. What he thinks. He thinks he's safe. But in reality he's not inaccessible. He's very accessible because that's why the Bible calls riches that someone's trusting in that aren't godly and not a result of having the right heart, uncertain riches. They're not certain. They're not trustworthy. They're not. Remember the man that built the bigger barns because he was trusting in his own riches and all of that? And, and, and you know, God said, you fool, your life's going to be required of you this very day, or very night or whatever. So it's, it's a contrast. We can't trust in uncertain riches. We need to trust in the Lord. And when it says the name of the Lord, it's talking about God's character, I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses love this. They talk about the name is Jehovah, and if you have to trust in that, that, you have to use that name alone, he's not talking about that. When you say to somebody, oh, that man has a good name, you're not talking about John or Derek or whatever his name is. You're talking about his character. That's what it talks about. The name of the Lord, his character, is a strong tower. There's so many things that he is to us and for us. And when we run to him, we are inaccessible. Verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Haughty basically means pride. It means to be elevated, to see myself above. And he said, before destruction, the heart of a man is prideful or haughty. And Jesus said that he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So pride never results in anything good in our lives. Because if we see ourselves as above and we see ourselves as self-sufficient apart from the Lord, he's going to discipline us. And so he calls us to have honor. I mean humility, rather, because that produces the honor. You know, James said in chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of men. Sometimes people humble themselves in the sight of people to get promotion, and he's not saying that. He says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He's not against lifting you up, but he has to be the one that does the lifting, not yourself. Instead of lifting yourself up, Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7 tells us this, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. God knows that the path is to promotion is humility and being submitted to his will at all costs and wanting his will. God's the one who promotes. Usually the ones who just want to love and serve people in humility are the ones God greatly uses. They're not even usually thinking about themselves or position or status or a title or anything. They're just too occupied with other people, generally speaking, than to be focused and fixated upon themselves. They just are consumed with others. It's not about them. Their focus is loving God and loving his people. Remember the disciples jockeying for position? They did it so openly and just without any. I mean, they kind of tried to hide it from Jesus a little bit, but he would catch them, or of course, he knew what was going on anyway. But these discussions were mostly done away from the Lord Jesus. And they were even trying to secure their place in heaven. They're jockeying for heavenly positions. To say nothing of earthly positions, they're jockeying for heavenly positions. And they're fighting about who's the greatest. Imagine going to a church where the leaders are fighting who's the greatest. But you want to go to that church? I wouldn't want to go to that church. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Servants are focused on others, not themselves, and what position they, they hold. They're focused on people. You know, Jesus didn't go around talking about who he was all the time in the Gospels. And he had every right to he didn't go around saying how great he was. He didn't go around promoting himself in the sense of, you know, talking about himself all the time. You know, they were supposed to recognize him from the miracles, from the prophecies that he fulfilled, his words. And he very rarely just came right out and said who he was. He did sometimes, especially in light of the timing of everything, because he didn't want to have those things happen sooner than they were supposed to. But he didn't go around talking about that. And we shouldn't either. We should be focused on serving, to caring for people's needs, and, and focusing on what's best for others and loving other people and being other-centered. It's beautiful. And God loves it. He loves a heart that's willing to serve. So we're supposed to walk in that humility. We're supposed to walk in just considering others better than ourselves, we're told in Scripture, to prefer one another to find needs. Where are the needs? The people that are, I've seen in the body of Christ over almost 30 years are not the ones that are seeking something. All they're wanting to do is just bless people. And they're wanting to know what the needs are. Where are the needs? What do people need? What, what, where, where are their holes in this? <laughs> where can I fill in a hole? Or when can I help? What, what, what's the biggest things? and And then... I'm not saying people aren't matched up with their gifts. I'm not talking about that at all. But just a heart to, to bless. And I just want to make things better for people. And I want, to, I want to bless your people. That's the heart that God really loves. And everything. so many things are opened up as a result of having that heart. And it's beautiful. I love, I love to see it. But infinitely more important, God loves to see it. And that's what he's aiming at developing in our lives. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace. Lord, your word is strong. Your word is convicting. But Lord, you give us this instruction because you love us. Thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you say hard things to us because you love us. And so we want to respond appropriately, Lord. Help us to respond in a way that pleases you. Lord, we, we, we confess our sins to you. We confess that we're sinful people. We ask for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that you would make us increasingly more and more godly. We thank you for the, the privilege of being able to live a different kind of life by your grace and by your power. Make us like Jesus, Father. We yield to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.